episode 10. Viva la guest! This, this song's in my head. Welcome back for another episode of Songs in My Head, podcast for music nerds, by music nerds. Uh, episode 10, big episode, joined once again by my lovely co-host, Kristen. Hello. And uh, episode 10, we've we've got something real, real special lined up, because uh, we have our first guest on the show. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed we have a guest? Great. Fun, fun thing to begin. Yeah. So, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, mystery guest? Hi, I'm I'm Lance. I'm a I, I, I'm Josh's roommate, I guess, kind of, sort of, or housemate or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, you are my housemate. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, yeah. you know, fellow music nerd. Uh, I like I like the song. I guess, sort of. <laughs> are any of them in your head? Some of them. Some of the time. Um, so you are also, like me, a former musician. Yes, yeah. I mean, marching band, jazz band, symphonic band. Yeah. All, all of the bands. All of the music nerd things. Almost went, almost went to school for like, music. And now you're an adult. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that just great? Ugh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... We decided to have this lovely gentleman on our show uh, to talk some music. So I guess I'll give a little format here since we're going to be doing guests from time to time on the show. What to expect. Um, So basically we're going to have the guest give us an album to listen to. It's going to be one of their favorites. And then... We're going to listen to it, and we're going to give it the regular treatment. So for this episode, uh, Lance gave us what album? Well, I gave you Viva La Vida, uh, uh, which is Coldplay 2008, and I picked the CrossFit's March edition, which has the CrossFit's March EP um, that has additional like six songs and remixes and such. Uh, so I picked that one. It's like basically the first album I ever got on my own with no prompting from anyone. It's a... Uh, you know, like, I've had other stuff that I listened to before that, but that's uh, freshman year of high school, and that was the first one that I was like, I want this, you know, I heard, heard Viva La Vida as a single, and I was like, I want this album, so. That's cool, though. Like, that that first music experience for yourself. So, I mean, and Kristen, with, with your experience on the show, <laughs> you know that we don't normally do, like, the deluxe edition. Right. What was the what was it? Amber Pacific's uh one that I gave you was like that where they had like the regular and the deluxe and I specifically told you Yeah. Yeah, don't listen to this one. Well I mean I, I had reasons, which obviously I'll talk about right. when we get to when we get to the deluxe edition. Right. The so, classic song. Right. So uh I guess we'll just kind of dive right in. And, you know, we'll do a little 
So normally what we do is we do a little bit of background on the album. Uh, and then we just kind of dive in track to track and just just have a little coffee talk. Coffee talk. Coffee talk. So, Viva La Vida. Uh, or it's, Death and All of His Friends. Or Death and All of His Friends. Yeah, literally one of the longest... One of the longest album titles I've ever read. It's a good one. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, God. I mean, and then you add, add Prospect's, Prospects March, March onto it. <laughs> um, so it's their their fourth studio album. Uh, the original album itself was released June 12, 2008. The deluxe edition came a few months later, uh, November 25th of the same year. So the deluxe edition, so if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the deluxe edition, so there was Viva La Vida, then there was the Prospects March EP, and then the deluxe edition is those together. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So, yeah, like I I mentioned, like Prospects March EP, because I think I got, I'm pretty sure I got mine separate. I don't think I bought them all once. Like, obviously, I got because I got Viva Vida, and then I don't think I bought the deluxe edition. I think I just bought the AP. But yeah, same thing. Right. Um. So interestingly, interesting fact: uh, the title track to Viva La Vida was actually the first song they ever had to reach number one on the charts in both the United States and the UK. Yeah, I was. I was a little floored when I when I read the accolades for Viva La Vida. Oh yeah, like, like it's like it's like basically their best song ever. Yeah, like, and it's like the board. it's commonly on like most recognizable songs of the last decade lists. Yeah, I read that. Um, yeah, it was the album debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200, and it made it to number one in 23 separate countries. Damn. Yeah. It was like that's pretty serious. And there's even some. There was even something I noted that um, it didn't. Not all sales or listens for Viva La Vida were counted in Britain because there was something weird about like pre-orders with iTunes or something. So like it still reached number. It, like it didn't count any of the single Viva La Vida listens, but even with just the album, it still like was number one hands down. Yeah. So just the title tracks that one of the most recognizable Coldplay songs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, that the album, going along with Accolades, uh, it also won the Best Rock Album at the Grammys in 2009, which is, like, wild. Yeah, and, like, I mean, I still listen to Coldplay occasionally and stuff, but not someone that i'm like yeah best rock album it right. doesn't doesn't sound doesn't feel like that category but and it's weird too because like i did i know that i've listened to some of their stuff prior to and you would have thought that like because x and y was the album that was right before this and x and y was a pretty like rock heavy album so i, I was really surprised to see that um so uh, I read that Viva La Vida roughly, roughly translates to uh, long live life. Yes. Uh, which is like the best translation that they 
that I've seen anywhere. But also I saw that it's a a reference to a Frida Kahlo painting. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll talk more about that later because I, I, I have it mentioned more in a song. So... Um, I did. I noticed it, but then when when I read about it in my research, I noticed that um, Chris Martin actually challenged himself a lot vocally on this album um, because he like he tried to sing in a lower a lower register to kind of differentiate from the previous album. Yeah, and um, that's actually part of the reason I chose Prospects March. Uh, a lot of the cut songs, in my opinion, uh, reign true to the goal of making an album with Chris singing in a lower, lower register, more aggressive, yeah, less um, ethereal tone. Right. Um, you you hear that uh, on a few different songs uh, throughout throughout the Prospects March part of the album. I agree. Um. So I know that also the the band experience or experimented with a lot of just different sounds in this album. Uh, I think the one thing I read they there was a part of the during the recording where they actually just took acoustic guitars and went and recorded with some really basic recording equipment in the basement of a church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just gonna say uh, it's it's one of the ones that's like. They're, they were all over the place. Uh, I have noted at least one of the songs is like in an old uh, Spanish art gallery. Uh, you know, they, they just chose a bunch of different locations kind of for like different acoustics, which is... Like, which is... It's super thoughtful. Yeah. Um, so I noted, I noted that there were a few like majorly noted influences for the album. Um... Charles Dickens novels didn't really specify which one, but I know that uh, Chris Martin had said that during the recording he had been reading a ton of Charles Dickens, um, and it, it actually said that there's a lot of imagery that is referenced uh, in Violet Hill and Cemeteries of London that carries a lot of like Dickens esque imagery because it, it references like old london and stuff like that so I, I thought that was pretty cool and uh also les mis yeah of course yeah novel 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 by victor hugo better known as the musical what i was extremely surprised to read this when i was doing my research and pleasantly because uh les mis the novel maybe was one of the best reads i ever did and i did it maybe the year before i listened to this album Oh, nice. Yeah, so, like, like looking at it now, I'm like, yeah, that makes, like, a thousand percent sense. But, like, just n n something I never, like, looked into or, like, made the connection. Um, just, like, Viva La Vida as a song is, just fits that theme and that kind of idea. Well, yeah, because they, they touch uh, a lot on, like, the historical inspiration behind it with, like, the French Revolution and everything. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a pretty cool tie-in. And actually, they, they continue um, historical kind of stuff in the cover art, which is something else that I found. I always thought the cover was really cool, and uh, I never really read much into it, but um, 
the cover for so I, I looked into all the cover art so the cover for viva la vida just the the base album uh was based or was an 1830s painting by eugene delacroix titled liberty leading the people um and then they just painted they just painted the album title over it with like white paint um and then they did a similar thing with the prospects march ep which is another delacroix painting titled battle of Poitiers. and they did a similar thing where they just wrote prospects march over top of it with white paint um but then oddly enough they backed completely away from that on the deluxe edition and it was just a matte black background with viva la vida painted on in gold but i did note that uh i think it was the drummer uh was the one that that designed the album art for the for the albums like doing the painting on and stuff like that that was his idea um so i thought that was pretty cool uh and like there's so many like crazy musical contrasts in this in this album like it's all over the place like you have orchestral stuff there's weird like honky-tonk piano in some of the songs you get some bluegrass you get a little bit of like tribal music yeah, you even have like shoegaze come in like, right and yeah just some wild stuff afro pop was one of the the big ones that was in there yeah i felt like this there's a lot of different influences and a lot of different connections once i started to read things there was you know samples and they compared to other artists I, actually the thing that made me laugh when i was sitting here earlier was that i thought it was like a forest gump of albums because like it touched everything like all this important stuff and all these like references to you know history and religion and you know even pop culture stuff it, it seemed to all fit together right yeah I, I know there there's just so many layers to the way that this album is designed yeah mm -hmm. and and one of the things that uh actually draws me back to this album over and over again is the varied as we're saying the varied styles and it's even just within a 30 second span you'll go you know in one song through three different styles of music yeah in in 30 30 seconds 60 seconds and it's just musical whiplash and it's enjoyable musical whiplash it is, it is <laughs> right. just great yeah i i i just it's definitely i think it's definitely like a an adventure like going through each track is definitely an adventure and we'll get more into that now we're going to start just kind of going through track by track uh so i will kick us off uh, so what I'm going to do, actually, I'll talk about the first two tracks, because the first track, it's just instrumental. Yeah. It's an instrumental interlude for the album called Life in Technicolor. Uh, it, it features the Santor, which is an Indian trapezoid-shaped hammered dulcimer. If you don't know what a dulcimer is, I'll tell you. It's basically the bastard child of a mallet instrument and a guitar so you, you you basically you're playing a guitar but with small mallets essentially 
hmm. like a steel gu- steel guitar meets of the xylophone. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And then uh, it also has the the tabla, which is like a an Indian hand drum. They're like they kind of look like bongos. Yeah, they have a completely different timbre, though. Yeah, they're very interesting, like the way they sound. Uh, so yeah, so that leads right into uh, Cemeteries of London, which I think is a great like opening opening track into the album. Uh, it was inspired by ghost stories, which I definitely hear a lot of that throughout. Uh, but it's got a, it's got like a folky kind of influence to it. Uh, which is something that the that most of the members of the band actually talk about that like it's it's a folk song like they wrote it as a folk song uh it's it's musically a lot darker than most of the album itself and most of the other stuff that coldplay has ever done uh and there's like just a crazy ass barrage of like eerie like ambient noise and background and stuff so you get kind of like a i almost feel like you're you're like doing like a ghost tour when you're listening to this song like you're yeah it's it's chilling there's a lot of like chilling melody and and as you said this kind of ambiance of of just like dread almost yeah uh I, i think one of the quotes i actually read chris martin called it a ghost march and I, I totally... You can... It's a little bit more upbeat, but you could almost even assign, like, a dirge to it. Yeah. Like, sort of. Like I said, more upbeat, but definitely that kind of dour, morose sound. Yeah, but, like, you, you get the you get the picture of them, that they're painting of, like, the, the ghosts roaming the streets of old London, like, just, like, lost souls. Um, and actually... Another thing that I, I read is that uh, this is the first time they used hand claps in a song on one of their albums. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, and, what? Yeah, and it's, once again, funny. They use it first time here, and it's it's throughout, actually. They use more hand claps, foot stomps, and, and just like uh, body percussion. Which yeah. Is nice to hear sometimes. Uh, um, yeah, I read the same thing, and the thing I read was a quote. Um, I forget who did it, but they said, like, they were originally trying to do, like, um, like a flamenco crap crap god damn it yeah flamingo crap yeah flamenco flamenco clap god it's like a tongue twister but they wind up coming out with like a crude english version of it more like a golf clap or like some seals and i I saw the seals and i did all i just pictured was like yep so that that made me laugh especially you know more that i said crap lovely (laughs) well wait so (laughs) Flamenco crap? Does that also mean that they had golf craps? I guess so. Sure. And seal craps. Seal crap. Huh. Ugh. Gross. Uh, well, it is the number two track. I mean, yeah, that's true. So, the next song well, was... Well, oh. actually, if I can like backtrack just a little. Sure. So, Life in Technicolor. Uh, so, the one of, another beautiful part of this album that just like speaks to me is kind of the unstated beauty of how they have positioned their songs and the way in which they all tie together 
Uh, it's very subtle. It's not like not super duper strong like in some albums, but uh, Life in Technicolor will come back in two other songs. The yeah. same opening vamp uh, is used throughout, um, like I said, two other songs, and is is important to kind of tying everything together. And I just I want to make note of that. Uh, it's it's this you know kind of like synthy vamp that they do just you know with the uh, the the Santor and the uh, Pablo. Yeah. So so that's that's just something that like it's this opening it's this opening vampy uh, uh, instrumental but it is important because it comes back and yeah. ties things together yeah it's like a like a theme yeah. that rolls back through well that's what makes it an experience to listen to because if it all connects um i read that that life in technicolor the instrumental version was uh in night at the museum movie battle of the smithsonian and also used to promote Apple's MacBook Air in 2008. Yeah, there you go. Which I was like, huh, no wonder this sounds a little familiar. Interesting. I yeah. did not I yeah. remember that. I knew, I knew um, MacBook Air. I did not know Night at the Museum. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, so I didn't really get a chance to like check it out. But yeah, I, I definitely remember the, the Apple connection. Uh, anything else on... That is that is it. I just wanted to kind of bring that point up. No, uh, thank you. No, I, I as a as a as a long time listener of this this album on loop, uh, it's like <laughs> it doesn't seem consequential at first, but it, it's very important in the weirdest way. No, I mean, and and it's definitely something that when you look at it from an artist's perspective, it's like they're so deliberate with the way that they they implemented it throughout the the course of the album that like. You almost have to listen to it a couple of times, and then you're like, "Oh, okay." Um, did you have any anything about the second track? Because you were you were about to move on, I think, right? But I have some stuff about the lyrics okay. on Cemetery London. I'd love to hear. It. Yeah, please. Okay, so yeah, I mean, usually what I do is read into the the lyrics because, you know, you guys are musicians. I'm more of a you know poet <laughs> so the the lyric stuff is what i usually will break apart um what i got out of this not only is it you know a ghost story but it also like there's a parallel with you know um <clears throat> like searching for something in life so like you know you're, you're searching for a truth or a meaning um and it's easy to lose yourself you know in that um it feels like a, a desire to connect with what's out there spiritually. So, you know, comparing the ghost with, you know, the narrator. Um, <clears throat> there's theories about the song um, being about the Thames River in London. Um, because in the Victorian area, it was <clears throat> essentially a cemetery where, you know, people would either throw themselves in the river as suicidal, you know, people or uh, bodies were disposed there because there were so many bodies that, I guess, you know, nobody noticed a few extra, you know, people dump it. Yeah. So it seemed a little more creepy once I looked at it on that level. Um, the lyrics, you know, at night they would go walking till the break of the day. The morning is for sleeping. Um, basically, you know, spirits never walk during the day, like in folklore. And <clears throat> um, about morning for sleeping, I read about Chris Martin going through therapy for nightmares and sleeping issues. So I thought that was an interesting, like, connection with, you know, his personal um, life. It's always cool when they, when an artist, like, subtly <clears throat> works in 
like something so personal like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot, I mean, the imagery on this, you know, there's ghosts in the oceans, um, just brings you to the, the times when like sea travel was dangerous. Um, there's a couple theories about, you know, um, like I said, the people dumping dead bodies in the river, um, during the black plague or, um, let me see, what else did I write? How they find, a, you know, just stories of finding abandoned villages at the bottom, swallowed up by the ocean. Um, there's also talk about religion. Yeah, that's, that's something I was going to bring up when you mentioned, like, spirituality. And, and this is, like, the first nod you get of, in this album of religion. Oh, there's a lot, yeah, yeah. But this is the first time, I mean, obviously this is the first track with, with words, but... Um, yeah, God is in the house and God is in my head and all the cemeteries of London. I see God come to my garden, but I don't know what he said for my heart was not open. Um, that to me felt like how many people have, you know, symbols of um, religion and, and Christianity or whatever in their house, but they don't, they don't follow it or they're not open to living that way. Um, basically, um, talking about how, you know, God can reveal himself, but a lot of times you could miss it because you're not ready to hear it. Um. Yeah, and I, I know that, like, I know that Chris Martin very, is very public about his, about his beliefs. He's not like a, you know, like, he's not like super duper, uh, he's not like super duper Christian or anything. He's like, isn't he like, into the Kabbalah and stuff like that. Yeah, just like he's more spiritual. Yeah, just yeah, like, I think like it's more of like a spirituality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and at the end when they talk about um, there's no light over London today, um, it kind of hints at like there's a sadness behind the fact that people aren't real about like hidden parts of themselves. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of it felt really deep. But I mean, if you if you think about it just on the surface of, you know, the ghost, the ghost march and stuff, I mean, there's, you know, that whole meaning, but like underneath, I feel like there's there's more stuff that, you know, how at night, people go walking. It's like, you know, there's those people who, you know, thrive in the nighttime. Um, just no, I, I, I get it. No, I, I totally yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a very, like, super deep meaning. I, I... Yeah, we're over here talking about, like, ambers and stuff, and she's like, so let's talk about spirituality. Well, that's where I feel, you know, I, I always feel like I come up short with talking about the music, because I'm like, it sounds nice. <laughs> There's pianos and stuff. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I get you. It all, it all works together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I try to lend my knowledge of music with the love of poetry and, and, and such like and i'm over here like it's sonically beautiful and she's just like it's yes there are sonically beautiful songs on this album so we can... well yes. that's why this works <laughs> anyway that's all I, all i got to say about that so perfect this album's like a box of chocolates never know what you're going to get so the next uh song on the album is called lost with an exclamation, with an exclamation lost. point. <laughs> that is important to note and i will talk about that in a second okay. 
Um, so, a couple of random things. The drum beat in the song was inspired by Justin Timberlake's Cry Me a River. Yeah. I which, was hoping you saw that because, you know. Which, you know, as the resident <laughs> Justin Timberlake fan, uh, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the actual song itself is inspired by uh, the song Sing from Blur, which is not a song I'm familiar with, but I am going to make it a point to go and listen to it. Uh, but it's an anthemic track, uh, I think, that talks about like perseverance. And uh, it, really, it really like dwells on how people could believe that you know, somebody's lost, uh, but everything is actually, like, thriving. Um, which I think is a really interesting kind of message, because it's true. I mean, it, you know, people are, are always, always situationally gloom about things, where it's like, oh, everything is terrible, everything is awful, but actually, like, I think it's about perspective. Yeah, it's all perspective. And I, I think that when you look at it per, uh, from a perseverance level, it, I think it's it's a good way to, to look at it. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. Uh, another thing to note about this one is it's uh, primarily inspired by tribal music. Um, is, a, is a note on this one. So already we have gone through three songs. We have had Indian Influence, uh, Spanish folk music was right. the main influence on Cemeteries of London. Right. And now we're into tribal music for Lost. Three songs, <laughs> three different, very, very different influences, um, which is a something to note. Um, and Crimea River, which is <laughs> also a fan of JT, so like I'm here for it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, weird, weird to see modern. It's really cool to see modern, modern uh, performers like kind of you know feeding off of each other. But yeah, it's definitely a kind of, like you said, an anthemic, just, you know, like, things are broken, but are they? You know, like, right. <sighs> yeah, I think one of my favorite uh, lines in, I think, all of these songs is, just because I'm losing doesn't mean I'm lost. I think that's, like, the first part of the, the album that actually spoke to me. Yeah, and there's something to be said, uh, the two the two big songs off these albums, obviously, we've mentioned Viva La Vida, the title track, and then, and then Lost was really the other, like, winner one that popular culture has kind of latched onto i find i find the uh symbolism and connection here to be pretty pretty poetic and we'll talk to this about this more with viva la vida but you know viva la vida is about this disgrace forsaken king we talk about that a lot mm-hmm. right uh and and uh you might be a big fish in a little pond doesn't mean you've won you're going to become a bigger one you know like just kind of it's still this idea this kind of same same thing yeah, um, yeah, that line spoke to me, and then um, the chorus. I think "Wait until the shine wears off." Basically, that like the fame eventually wears off, and like what you have left is is what's important. So um, when you were saying that you know it's about perspective, and you you could believe something's lost when it's actually thriving, you know, under the surface, it, it exactly makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I'll note, uh, once again, just like musical stuff, is the power behind this song is 
phenomenal. It is it is just uh it's not it is anthemic, but it is also driving. Yeah. Like you this is the type of thing you want to run to or it's a little slow to run to, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It, run it's... slowly too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jog too. <laughs> Jog. Yeah, it's just it's so powerful. Just like everything about it, like the the tribal drums and kind of the like for lack of a better term, blaring music. Like it's just very powerful. It is, absolutely. So I did read that there are several versions of this song. So and every single every single version of this track has a different symbol attached to it. So this one is the one on the on the actual album is lost with an exclamation point. Then the one that's on Prospect March is lost with a plus sign. And that's the remix with Jay-Z, which we'll talk about later. Uh, and then there's Lost with the question mark, which is the very beautiful piano version that you played for me right before we started recording. Yes, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, something I recommend to everyone to listen to when they listen to Lost is like go find Lost question mark. It's wonderful. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, in the single on Spotify. If you look up the single for Lost, I think it has all those versions. Yeah, it was it. supposed to be the B side for Violet Pill. Yeah. I, I did read that, that it was mm-hmm. a B-side. Uh, and then there's Lost with the at symbol, which was a live recording from the United Center in Chicago. And that was actually the version that was used in the music video gotcha. for the song. I didn't know that fact. Yeah. Like they use, I believe they used that recording as, the, as part of the music video. And then there's Lost minus which is just instrumental i didn't where's lost minus at i haven't seen that one published anywhere yeah i i had a hard time finding exactly where that one was at now with that being said i i mentioned this right before the show and i'm not a hundred percent on this but i believe there is a lost version it was either from an award show or from a concert or something you probably have to find some grainy cell phone footage of it on youtube but it it was the lost question mark like it was you know uh Chris Martin playing the piano and singing, but it had Jay Z come in as if it was uh, Lost Plus or not Lost. I'm sorry. Yeah, Lost yeah, Plus. Lost Plus. Uh, find that if you can find it because of that. I, I know it exists somewhere. But it's kind of a Lost Lost. Yeah. Whoa. Lost. Deception. Yeah. Um. I was reading a lot of interviews and things because you know the album was you know, huge. Um, the one thing that I read, because this is the first time I think that in the album that we reference um, them being inspired by other artists specifically. Um, and Chris Martin was saying like, that's one of the things they do when they write. If they listen to something that they think is incredible and they feel, you know, stupid for not having anything just as good as that because they try to go and play it. But of course they don't know how to do exactly the same. So they come up with something new and I think their new is something better. So I, I kind of, find it interesting when they you know have their you know talk about what what inspires them and i think we talked about this with weezer like you know he chooses pieces from other songs you know and he goes through the science of of why right those things work but i think it's an interesting way to you know attempt to play something and come up with this whole new thing on your own um 
But I definitely will have to listen to that sing because that was what was mentioned. And, and obviously the Justin Timberlake. Um, Crimey River. I yep. Mean, I totally can tell, you know, once once I heard it, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I after I listened to it a second time after I read that, I was like, all right. Yeah, I can see that. The only thing, other thing I read about the song is it's used in a film, which I hadn't seen. It's called The Way and in NBA 2014. Yes. <laughs> 2K14. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, the next track is 42. Okay, and like 42 and or uh, 42 and or uh, Rainy Day might be the best songs, like sleeper songs that no one talks about. I'm just going to bring that up right now. Okay. 42 is just amazing i yeah <laughs> so, i i feel very strongly about this song. i do too um i didn't expect to i mean i didn't right off the bat because of the name i mean 42 the answer to everything well yeah and i was gonna say actually this is the second coldplay song to reference uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah and uh, there's so much about this song that i love josh can i just start talking Yes, please. Yeah, yeah okay, cool. Please. Sorry, I've been letting you do your little intro, but I cut you off this time. <laughs> no, 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 you're good, you're good. Yeah, so 42, great. Uh, so this is the first uh, first Coldplay song without a chorus. There's there, yeah. yeah, like weird structure. I love it. Three, I... three distinct parts, and it is, it's just well made. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Yeah, I read that, like, that it has no chorus, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it, it doesn't really have a chorus. You yeah. just get verse, verse, verse. Yeah. Which is very, songs aren't built like that. No, and so to me, this is another one of those songs that has this kind of Middle Eastern or uh, pseudo Indian uh, influence in a lot of the you know, like melodies and tuning and such. Uh, and it is this song slaps like it is a <laughs> certifiable banger. It is just intensely amazing. Uh, and it once this is the first, in my opinion, this is the the big first one where you get that that. Um, intense and wonderful musical whiplash where you're not expecting what happens and when it does all you can think is wow this is great yeah uh absolutely no i i totally agree because it is it's three distinct parts and none of them are at all like the last right so uh certifiable banger was that your nickname in high school yes (laughs) oh man that's a good one sorry it was killing me i had to yes anyway continue yeah Uh, (laughs) carry on yeah, it's just, it is, it's, there's so much to it that I just cannot get over about this song. Uh, like I said, it's this or Rainy Day are the two that I'm just like, these are the sleepers that like should have been hits. Um, also, a, a fun fact I read is that uh, 42 is actually Chris Martin's favorite number. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And then the other, the other reason that it, a joke that I love about this is they, they tried to make a bunch of like no chorus songs and, and. They always joke that, uh, although uh, every time we tried to call, uh, we've tried to call it forty two. That's about the ninth forty two. So <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I, I noticed that too, and I was like, oh. yeah, I'm not. Oh, so here's the other thing that I find interesting that I was just reading about this beforehand, and I, will, I have to do research now. Um, I'm not a guitar person. I don't know how guitars work. This song uses something called ostrich tuning, where you like tune all the all the s- strings to the same note or something. I don't know weird tuning stuff that i now need to look into yeah i i did read that too and i i also am not 
uh, my knowledge of, of guitars is very, very, like, minimal. But I've heard the term ostrich tuning, but I'm not 100% sure what it refers to. Yeah. So I, I agree that it's definitely something that I would look into. Yeah, because that's another thing is the sound on... Uh, the sound on this song is, once again, it's one of those sublime things. It's this combination of timbres and styles that uh, has no no uh, no right being as good as it is. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I I do know that, like in general, uh, the the song references a lot of a lot of people that they've lost in their lives, but that in those losses they've also had what they call miracles uh which is them referring to their children so you know it's kind of like that that like that loss and gain kind of thing where yeah and... no you're good yeah i was just gonna say uh sorry just because this is on the top of my head but yeah uh this was Guy Berryman, which is uh, the bassist, just had a child in October 2006 when they started recording this. So that's right. kind of like, I'm sure, huh. some of the impetus for for that type of like miracle belief. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I liked um, the lyrics where it said, those who are not dead are... Those who are dead are not dead. They're just living inside my head. Just talking about how, you know, people stay alive through the stories and the memories and, you know, their legacy. And I thought that, you know, was interesting. In the Johnny Buckman, uh, the solo in the middle, uh, once again, this is the very, like, Middle Eastern, pseudo-Indian inspired. Oh, gorgeous. Just, like, very much shows his chops with, with the solo. Yeah. Our solo. Um, just great. Yeah. It's just <laughs> powerful song after powerful song. <laughs> This one, this one's a big one for me. You're just like, yeah, yeah fuck yeah, man. I, I can talk about the sound of this song for hours. Right. And just, like, pick apart, like, instrumentation and stuff. So. So, moving along, uh, we come to the first two-parter song. Uh, it's kind of considered, like, song with a hidden track, I guess is how they kind of refer to it. Uh, but it's Lovers in Japan, and then the hidden portion is uh, Reign of Love. Uh, so another fun thing that I, I read, uh, another Justin Timberlake reference, is that Chris Martin was saying that they wanted to, they wanted to do a two-in-one song title like, like uh, Justin Timberlake's Future Sex Love Sounds. <laughs> and this was their way to do that yeah yeah and uh they talk that you, you have a total of two and two on the main and three on uh three total if you can consider the prospects march section of double songs uh they, they talk about on the main album they wanted to keep the album short so you almost had to listen to it all the way through it yeah walks in at 47 minutes it's like the perfect car ride length yeah, and I am unable to not listen to this whole album. Uh, the exception is I'll listen to Be Potent Leader by itself. But if I if I hear any of the songs, I just put it on from the beginning. Like right. I can't I can't not. It's like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what part of Shawshank Redemption you come in on, you have to watch it. Yep. You have to sit down. 
I like to call it being Shawshanked. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I can't... If Shawshank Redemption is on TV, <laughs> I have to watch it. What if you just call it being redeemed? Oh. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Shaw- I have been Shawshank redeemed. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, um, but that's that's just like a note about the double tracks. They they have, like I said, three total. Uh, if you count the pro, uh, prospect march uh, section of it, I thought it was interesting that they called them hidden tracks. And uh, at first, when I read, um, there was an interview they did with MTV, and uh, Chris Martin was talking about that people were complaining about not buying albums. So we thought maybe the reason people don't want to buy music is because there's not enough value for the money. So they tried to add a, a lot of value with hidden tracks, and I was like, right. Yeah. Weird, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Lover, Lovers in Japan. I like jump into the song. Sure. Uh, so Lovers in Japan uh, starts with a tack piano. Yeah. Uh, some some people think of it as like a honky tonk piano. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that I love about this fact is they went out, got a cheap piano from a from a music store up the street from the recording studio, and spent like eight hours putting tacks in the amp. Right. It's it is a true tack piano. It is not. Not like patched in, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They they went out of their way to basically fuck up a brand new piano. Yeah. Or a relatively new piano. Yeah. So it definitely has a once again this you know we're four songs in and we're going into what five five you count like so we're like five songs in we're going into like our fourth or fifth like strange influence. Um, and they talk about like they they heard a tack piano at like a church or something like one of these churches they went to to right. do recording in. Uh, also to note, all of the most of the recording that they were traveling around for was in Spain. Uh, I did see that. Yeah, Viva la Vida, Spanish phrase, uh, cemeteries of London's uh, Spanish folk music inspired. They had a lot of the Spanish right at the beginning, um, but throughout as well. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this tack piano is real good. Um, it kind of, it's the driving force of this kind of vamped tack piano, and it is just a timbre you're not used to. Uh, right. It kind of, kind of pulls you through, like into and through the song. Yeah. And I also I also think it's interesting when you when you look at it on the surface, at the title, uh, Chris Martin actually talks about it in an interview that I read, uh, where he's saying that, like, the actual romance of Japan is kind of lost at the surface. Uh, a lot of people just assume that like that like Japan is, you know, all technology and bright lights, but uh he said that just from his experience being in Japan, it's actually a very beautiful place and there's a lot of romance in their culture. And so this was kind of his way of saying like, hey, you know, like in and it's kind of an ancillary thing where this isn't like the theme of this of the song but it's like hey look at this place it's it's actually pretty beautiful yeah it uh it definitely it definitely has you can kind of pick up on some of the, the musical theming of that kind of drawing attention to that area of the world right um i know uh and we'll probably touch on this maybe briefly or maybe extensively when we get to it, but there's there's a second version of this, it's the Osaka Sun version. Right. Um, further on into the uh, Prospects March yeah. section. And it it's basically just the better version of the song. It's the one that's used for 
basically everything after the main Elden release. Uh, and with Vengeance, that's just they realize how to do it better through live performances. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I, I agree that I think it's that version actually sounds better. Yeah, it sounds better, and the reason I bring it up now is it has more, it has, like, some vocalization in it that isn't in the original, that as soon as you hear it, it calls you into uh, this kind of romanticized Asian feel. Right. Yeah. Which, I, I remember the first time that you played through this album for me, I was like, oh, I get, like, a real, like, David Bowie kind of vibe in this song yeah uh, i actually love a quote from uh, someone someone jed jed gottlieb of the boston herald uh he remarks that the piano sound in lovers in japan rain of love hints at the 1968 song lady madonna by the beatles which you'll see the beatles come up really so yeah. much in this album i, and, I did see that and it's one of those things that i think you have to kind of listen to them back and forth and then you're like okay I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I get it. Like, toy piano, you know. I get it now that you say it. I yeah. would not have thought about it out, out of nowhere, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so. Wow. It, and it, <laughs> then he then says, but, uh, lost it. Let me, let me find it. There it is. Uh, before taking a neoclassical Choppenberg Britpop route. And yeah. that, like, that quote right there just describes the song. Yeah. Perfectly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, lyrically, I mean, not only is the song about, you know, well, how beautiful Japan is, because it does talk basically about the sunrise. Um, <clears throat> it's about hope and not giving up. Um, just from the lyrics, you know, lovers keep on the road you're on, runners till the races run, you know, even when you're unsure of how things are going to, you know, end, you stay on the course. Um, but then there's, you know, talks about... Um, one that I thought was interesting was when they said they are turning my head out to see what I'm all about, keeping my head down to see what it feels like now. But I have no doubt one day we're going to get out. I mean, that's like a, like another message of hope. But um, talking about, you know, how you could feel like an outsider from everyone else. And then people are trying to figure out what makes you different and what right. makes you special. Yeah. Um, because a lot of places being different is not appreciated. Um, so, you know, keep your head down. Try to be normal. But, you know, they're trying to, you know, find out what makes, you know, a person, you know, special. Um, but yeah, then they literally talk about, like, the sunrises. Um, and talking about <clears throat> how you feel, you know, the night before when you're just wishing for the morning to come. When you go to sleep thinking the next day will be better than the one that you just had. So, I mean, there's a lot of hope in this, which I liked. Yeah, and talking about some of this like lyrical things the album is really broken into two parts for me lyrically um and it's the songs that center around love and hope which we've seen a lot of so far and then we have kind of the anti-war anti-authoritarian anti-government messages that come with all of the other songs yeah and it's like kind of dour and morose um yeah but then in, in the middle of it you have a song like this that like you were saying, it makes you look forward to the next day. But also, I think that another message that's kind of in the lyrics uh, and behind just the general song itself is that it's kind of like you want to make sure that you're utilizing the time you have. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think that that 
I agree where you have these these two very powerful things in this entire album and they they come together in this interesting well that's what I mean it touches on so many big things you know religion and spirituality and you know war and all all that stuff you know love hope there's just so many things yeah and and so like lovers in Japan is this great kind of upbeat hopeful thing and then we get to Reign of Love yeah Uh, my note my only note for Reign of Love that I have is musical whiplash yeah uh, it goes into this beautiful, like, slow and soft, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's just kind of this, you know, just opposite <laughs> from, from, Rain of, or, uh, sorry, from Lovers in Japan itself. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Uh, so, I think we're, we're good to, Move on to the next. Uh, we're gonna move on to the next track in a minute. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna stray away from we're gonna stray away from tracks and stuff for a minute, and we're gonna touch on one of our newest our newest segments. Take a little break away from from Coldplay for a minute get into our newest segment that we like to call that's my band name that's my new band name that's my new band name so we had some we had some pretty good ones this week uh so this is a combination of both of ours because we have some stuff that we both uh so i have uh double barrel weenus (laughs) (laughs) for those who don't know weenus is elbow that would be that man makes me think of being hit by both elbows at once oh god <laughs> my child and his sharp elbows both at once both at once. <laughs> uh then there was the one that we had found when we were looking up some stuff online for a new logo for the podcast which you guys hopefully will see in the future which was moist joystick oh <laughs> yeah i'm not a fan of that uh, and then we also had Space Vixen, which was a really good one. Uh, I, I really like Space Vixen. Uh, and we had The Psychopath, <laughs> but like... The Psychopath. The Psychopath. Ah, uh, not The Psychopath. Not one word. Right. Yes, two words. And then we had one that, that uh, actually that Lance added in today which was uh double soup can oh i also have one that i've been holding out specifically just to have a live reveal Ooh, live reveal live reveal yeah yeah my 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 band name is rainbow crosswalk (laughs) rainbow (laughs) crosswalk yeah oh man it just that one speaks to me so i feel like they should open up for the psychopath <laughs> what are you talking about? Rainbow Crosswalk? They're gonna open for Taint Slap. Oh, yeah. Like, what's what's Rainbow Crosswalk's like hit single though? Their hit single? Yeah. I want to call it Capitol Hill, but that's because that's where the Rainbow Crosswalk from. <laughs> yeah, their their hit single is actually just a cover of uh, "I'm Just a Bill" from Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> Different Capitol Hill, but great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, it's. I'm just a boo. 
And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Alright, so... Let's get back to the album here. So the next track uh, is actually another two-part track. It's like a... Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's a two-part track, but it's like a hidden track again. It's called... Yes. Uh, the hidden track is called Chinese Sleep Chant. So... Uh, this song is actually one of the ones that Chris Martin challenges his voice the most in, uh, way lower register for his vocals. Yeah, and this, this is kind of the one they said that this, the album was originally built off of. This idea of having an album of low, powerful vocals came from this song. Versus their standard, which is like the, the higher pitched falsetto kind of stuff. Yeah, and Chris has that natural voice that he utilized so well. Right, and they actually utilize uh, North African string and tablas again in this song. Uh, but I did read that it's inspired by the Velvet Underground. Yeah. I saw that too, but I didn't I didn't pick up on that exactly. No, I I can understand it because the the Velvet Underground was kind of kind of uh, ethereal. Yeah. And actually, they do talk about that, uh, that, you know, it, it kind of sets up, the way that Yes goes sets up the second portion of the song, which is the Chinese sleep chant, because it's, uh, it's kind of like getting more into the shoegaze yeah. that you were talking about. Yeah, and I, I feel like this song, Chinese sleep chant is particularly really is going to be a polarizing one uh like across the board uh, i know i know chris martin talks about how it's polarizing for the band so um but it, just to talk about yes for a minute uh lyrically it touches a lot on love sensuality it touches on temptation because they do refer to like god and temptation yeah specifically uh talking about lead me not into, temp into temptation just right. like from the from the lord's prayer and but it's not so easy when me yes but then also <laughs> sin sin and then loneliness uh so a, a really a kind of a, a fever dream yeah yeah and it's real it's real interesting to me chris martin calls it a sexy song but he says it's written for another character someone other than himself right <laughs> for a friend yeah asking for a friend asking for a friend you want to sleep together yeah it was um what i was reading is basically you know a troubled relationship and the two of them are finding it hard to resist you know temptations otherwise as well um i i picked up like and I, I loved it. This is that, that relationship that you just don't want to be a part of. That you keep going back. Like, like you just, you always end up in someone's bed. And the next day you, like, duck out before they wake up. And you're just miserable about it. And then you're there two days later. Like. That's been a theme of a few songs that we've talked about. Right? I feel like that, yeah. I feel like there, there's other albums that had a song similar and theme yeah that's how that's kind of how i read it yeah yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I definitely get that under for for the the lyrics and everything for sure. Uh so then like I was saying, it kind of progresses from there into like a what they called a self-conscious parody of shoegaze. Now I I know that I've heard the term shoegaze before. Uh but I couldn't place the meaning. Yeah. So what I did is I actually was a nerd and I defined it. Yeah. I was going to just read it off right now. Well, I actually have it written here. Yeah. Uh, it's the ethereal mixture of obscure vocals, guitar distortion and effects, feedback, and just overwhelming volume. Yeah. So <laughs> very, very almost like trance music. Or, or like what you would get in an EDM kind of song. Yeah, I I do not. This is the one thing off the entire album I'm not a fan of. It's still good. I appreciate it, but this is the one I'll hit skip on. Um, and like I said, I think it's a polarizing kind of sound. Yeah. Uh, Chris Chris Martin in an interview to find the song as Brian Eno's favorite as well as Guy Berryman's favorite, but Champion's least favorite of the album. Hmm. Um, well, I mean... Brian Eno is also known for more electronica-driven yeah. music. Yeah, so. for sure. Guy Berryman is, is the bassist, and right. he, he likes it. But um, Champion, well, Champion's the drummer and is not a fan, which makes sense if you listen to it. Sure. Uh, I mean, if I was a bass guitarist, hook up to a, you know, a, a foot pedal with seven different distortion effects and really got to just jam out, like, I'm not going to be... Not gonna be upset about that. But like, but yeah, I don't know. It's just a. But I also, I don't know if you guys read this, but I also read that uh, supposedly this song was written when they were all under hypnosis. <laughs> I didn't. I and didn't. That that. Yeah. That mean makes it mean so much more. Yeah. Also, can we talk about the the lyrics of this song? <laughs> it's literally. It, when it when it is called Chinese sleep chant, it is literally a song yeah. about going to sleep. Yeah, and and like let's just talk about let's just talk just about for the night or permanently. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Taking a long sleep, huh? The long sleep. Death practice. <laughs> so yeah, like it, it, it's, I was reading these today because it's real hard to get these lyrics within the song because of all the distortion. Fall asleep, fall asleep, sleep satisfied, sleep satisfied. Repeat those four. And then towards the end, fall asleep, fall asleep, sleep crucify? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> right? Like, I just... Right? And now when I tell you that supposedly they were under hypnosis... You know what? It makes a lot of it sense. It would make a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hypnosis, uh, I, was, I thought you were going to be going like, yeah, they all they all did three tabs of, uh, of acid. acid before they, they wrote this one. And I would have been very much like, yeah. Makes, you're like, make, yep, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, sure, okay. Uh, okay, so let's talk about arguably Coldplay's biggest song. Yeah, I, and hands down. I, I think hands down. Like, clocks? Yellow, yellow might come close? I think if you're talking about other close Coldplay songs, the closest would be clocks, and then probably... I would say probably the scientist. 
Yeah, it's like those three scientist pots of yellow. And it's yellow? Yeah. Uh... Oh, I mean, up until this point, at yeah. least, because some of their newer stuff is is pretty good too. Yeah. So, but uh, so the next track on the album is "Viva La Vida," the title track, uh, which I mean, like as soon as it starts, you know what what song you're listening to. And the and the thing that stands out to me is this song is unlike the rest. Every other song on the album. Yeah, it's it, com- this song is completely different. And like to call this rock feels weird to me and it is but it's so intensely different than most things uh yeah no i i agree i i totally agree uh this was actually the song i was talking about earlier where the title is a reference taken from a painting by frida Kahlo. uh so chris martin was a big fan of hers uh he said you know she's been through some shit essentially is what he said in an interview uh but then he went in referring to you know her strength how she endured polio a broken spine and a decade of chronic pain and then kind of reflecting on the artistic irony of acclaiming life while suffering physically and it was her last painting before her death yeah yeah so I mean, that part of it, right on the surface, before you even talk about the song itself, the the title, already interesting. Yeah, I think the other thing that's, like, interesting to, like, touch on with this this particular song before you even touch on the music or the lyrics, um, and this will lead into the lyrics, at least, is this is, this is the song that uh, paints the picture of this album. This is the song of the French Revolution. This yeah. is the song of the painting, more so than any other. Not that the others aren't, you know, uh, attached, but this is the one that directly is Les Mis. It is, it is the revolution of uh, French Revolution, the revolution of, what, 18... No, that's an American Revolution. No, no, they're the Students' Revolution, which is the one that Les Mis is based off of. I forget what year that is, but... This is the one. This is the, the performance of this is them in revolutionary, like yeah. modified revolutionary French outfits. Yeah, and when they perform it, like the the instruments that they use are very revolutionary. Like they have like the the hip bass and the uh, what was the one thing that you were saying that they used? The, yeah. So uh, the, I know the first time we we listened through this, you're like, oh, I love the use of chimes in this song. And I brought up to you, and this is like one of my like my little facts. It's not a chime. This is actually a bell that he like a, a brass bell, like like just like the Liberty Bell or any other traditional bell, and he plays it with a mallet, like a like a drum mallet. Right. And it's it's the best two and four. Like it is it's the two and four of this song in all of the yeah. parts, and it is driving and surreal. Yeah. It, it really brings that revolution feel into you. Yeah, I remember like I remember hearing this song for the first time, like when it came out, and I was like, "Is that a bell?" Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and the percussionist and he's like, "Oh, that's a great use of chimes." Like immediately, you just write it off. Yeah, I I always thought that it was chimes. But yeah, when you, you pull up the video of it, or if you've ever seen any of their live performance of it, it it's him playing like a hand bell, and and it, that timbre is so different, and like it, to me, it is just someone sitting on a horse crying revolution with a handbell or standing in a clock tower like 
that they just took from the government and are ringing this bell for freedom. Yeah. Well, they even talk about bells ringing. Yeah, so exactly. Um, but that's once again that that's before we even get into like the lyrics or the right. song, you know, or the music. This is that the French Revolution. This is the revolutionary anthem. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they they actually say that it, it's it's seen as like a narrative of the French Revolution, and that like because of the historical and biblical references that are in the lyrics uh but also like to kind of touch on that too uh you know it it tells the story of a monarch that has lost his kingdom yeah it's it's the rise and fall of a monarch yeah a, a disgraced king yeah um and it's it's all told from from the disgraced king himself right but it's it is really fascinating. Um, like I mean, that that kind of like trans translates in or transitions into into our into our lyrics and like, yeah. Now the now the old king is dead, and the new king, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean it. It's it's it, it's showing the 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 power of a revolution in one song, like. I think that's what makes it interesting. Is like it's the king realizing that he's done. Not only is he's done, he is disgraced. I know Saint Peter won't call my name. Yeah. yeah. Our lyricist expert. <laughs> yeah, I, I pretty much read into most of the lines like one by one, just because there was a lot to it. I mean, obviously, it's the story, like the rise and fall. Um, but yeah, it was <clears throat> um, talking about when he used to rule the world, the seas would rise when I gave the word. And that hints to the biblical, you know, of Moses parting, parting the sea. Seas. And then there was another um, talk about a king of Denmark. Um, he placed his throne near the water and commanded the sea not to get him wet. Um, that he, you know, had this immense power to... Um, command the sea <clears throat> but now in the morning i sleep alone i sleep the streets i used to own so he's no longer you know the king now he's just a common person you know doing common people stuff <laughs> right <laughs> um <clears throat> i used to roll the dice feel the fear in my enemy's eyes which you know i read where rolling dice comes from apparently the phrase is from you know <clears throat> a phrase in julius caesar's times but the die has been cast <clears throat> but we all know what rolling the dice means taking risks um, yeah, the part about, <clears throat> yeah, now the old king is dead, long live the king. I mean, obviously, we know what that's about. Um, <clears throat> I find that line to be particularly interesting and important. Because, uh, once again, French Revolution was a series of, like, four. You know what I mean? Like, there's all these mm -hmm. noted revolutions. And this is, this is a fascinating thing to me. This king is singing... I listened as the crowd would sing, the old king is dead, long live the king. He's talking about himself. Right. And then only minutes later, he's realizing he's the new king and his head's on the chopping block as much as it lasts. Right. Right. Yeah. One minute I held the key, talking about the keys of the kingdom. And I mean, that's that's another biblical reference um, where Christ gave the, the keys to St. Saint Saint Peter. <clears throat> Next, the walls were closed in on me. Um, so yeah, for, for a minute... He was, you know, on top and in charge. But, you know, what you know about 
being a leader is that you're, you know, beholden to your people. And if you don't, you know, do what they need, you know, revolution. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but what I thought was interesting is like the walls closed in on me. Um, someone talked about, you know, the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Pit and the Pendulum is an example of like why walls closing in is terrifying. And I was like, I read that a long time ago. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, I can definitely see that. <clears throat> the part that I liked the best um, lyrically was, you know, I discovered that my castles stand upon pillars of sand or pillars of salt and pillars of sand. I mean, those are biblical references as well. Um, the pillar of salt was referring to the story of Lot's wife, um, where angels told Lot to take his family and flee um, Sodom and not look back no matter what. But his wife could not resist it. And she looked back and she was transformed into the pillar of salt. And the pillar of sand is a parable of a wise man who built his house on a rock and then a foolish man who built his house in the sand and it was swept away when the storm came. So in saying like he built his castles on pillars of salt and sand, the narrator saying that he put his foundations on traitors, um, which was Lot's wife and fools, the man who put his castle in the sand. So, you know, the king, you know, put, put his foundation on, on traitors and fools and this is how he fell. Um, and then of course the chorus that they're starting to build up about the Jerusalem bells, Jerusalem bells ringing, Roman cavalry choirs singing. That's where just, I feel like the song starts to build up with, um, talking about, you know, I mean, that, that's also biblical obviously as well. Um, but it seems like this is where like the narrative of the song, the king is having a change of heart where he realizes that he did evil stuff as king and all along that, you know, he should have been following Jesus or the real king. Um, but now it's too late. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much more, too. I mean, I just kept going. Um, and this, I mean, that's just the, the thing about it is this story song. You can you can have a narr narration of, of, like, a, you can have a novella about Oh, yeah. Like, just picked apart and, and strung together. Well, you know how, like, I talk about how I like albums that tell stories. I mean, yeah. this felt like an album and a song. Right. Like, there was so much to it. Right. Yeah, and, like, talking about, like, the length and the intensity of this, this is where some of those, like, Victor Hugo, Lameness things kind of hit for me. Like, mm -hmm. um, is, like, over a thousand pages. Like, it's, it's just a treat. And there's so much unnecessary information. Uh, the version I got had annotations because you need them. Like, yeah. Um, and this is it. Like, this is the story of, of and not exactly because it doesn't follow the king, but it follows the, you know, the poor revolutionaries who died for nothing. But this is this is just this idea of revolution and why and how and what the result is. It's so very powerfully written, and this this kind of story just like harkens to that. Um, and it's very, very intense and deliberate. Uh, and this is, I think this is where you really start to get a lot of the, uh, anti-authoritarianism, revolution, that kind of push, uh, in this, in, a, in the next few songs, you start to get that more. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, after that verse, of course, there's the shattered windows and sound of drums. People couldn't believe what I become. So that's where, you know, the king you know, supposedly starts using force to get his stuff done, but everybody's shocked to see, like, what happened, and then they start to, you know, revolt. Um, 
get revolutionaries wait for my head in a silver plate, which is a reference, obviously, to the guillotine. Well, that, yeah, but also John the Baptist, um, where he asked for the head, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, King Herod's great niece, Salam, asked for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. Or it could be, obviously, double meaning with you know, the guillotine. I thought with the whole French Revolution thing that it was more like off with their heads. Oh, definitely. Guillotine. And that's, that's the beauty of the song. You can, once again, you can, read it, uh, you can read it from the revolutionary side of like Victor Hugo and, and the uh, French Revolution and the guillotines. And then you can go ahead and re- read the whole thing just holding a Bible in your hand and just pick all of these things out. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the parallels between the two things. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the last part that I noted is about, you know, being a puppet on a lonely string who would ever want to be king. Like, you know, you are just beholden to the people that support you. And, you know, it's a lonely thing because to be in charge. And, you know, when you look at it that way, it's like, well, who would want who would want to do that? That's the pressure and the... Well, not only that, but, like, if you break down that lyric in itself, when you say, like, the puppet on a string, mm-hmm. it's because if you if you look back in history, historically, the actual leaders held no power. Mm-hmm. The king or the queen wasn't the power. The power was in their court. So being a puppet on a string was essentially, like, the king realizing... I'm literally fucking nothing. And I'm the person who gets beheaded. Right. Go wrong. Because he's the figurehead. <laughs> he he is the face. And he's just their puppet. And they're just saying, dance, puppet, dance. And uh, I mentioned this earlier. I'll bring it up again now. And then later in the, the last song, kind of this trilogy of, of notes is uh, this idea of puppet on a lonely string who would ever want to be king. Jay-Z ties lost and being a Lolita together with that line. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, right. those are the two big the two big songs and they kind of go hand in hand for a few reasons. And he's the thing that kind of ties them the most. Yeah. So we'll definitely touch on that. A Absolutely. Later. So I guess one yeah oh, did, something else? yeah the one thing that i thought was about the song i mean it's huge obviously yeah a song of the year at the 51st grammy awards in february 2009 and song of the year that's that's huge right and then like in pop culture i was reading that there it was featured in a simpsons episode billion dollar maybe um performed live for the simpsons episode oh. i was like really and then also nerdy me who likes space it was played to the crew for the space shuttle atlantis to wake them up on day two of their final mission i was like that's really cool <laughs> wow that is pretty cool also in the nba 2k13 soundtrack <laughs> yeah cold play yeah. when i think right. basketball i think cool. <laughs> um, my my personal memory of this song though is i remember when i went to montreal in like 2010 to see a hockey game the canadians and the, the penguins and this was like one of their big songs like in the arena for their team and i was like it's like huge <laughs> So, That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was like their. I think it was their coming out, like their big like team coming out. Yeah. Thing. Ooh. And then I mean, in this, and for me, the note of this song for me is this. This was the song I heard. This first one. I saw a performance of them doing this at I don't even know what, uh, what award ceremony or show, but I saw them play the song live. And I'm a nerdy percussionist, not a drummer. I'm a percussionist. 
though I do play <laughs> drum set and everything, but I'd like to make that distinction. And it floored me that they used a bell. And right. that, that, I was like, I gotta go listen to this song ten times. And I'm like, what album is this off of? Oh, it's new. You know, and that, that was the, the journey of me becoming a music nerd more than I already was. So. Huh. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those kind of songs that you you hear all of the instrumentation and stuff that they, they use in this song. And you're just like, excuse me? Yeah, we haven't, we haven't mentioned that. Full orchestra orchestra for this yeah yeah like I, was that i believe so right orchestra. sonically gorgeous sonically yeah gorgeous. this is this is a song that is sonically gorgeous absolutely everything kind of hits together perfectly i don't absolutely. know right now i just have this visual of somebody banging on the liberty bell it's a little smaller know. but yeah look it up. It's good. so i guess this song is kind of like if you if you look at the the way that this that viva la vida finishes out then it, it it seems very appropriate that it goes into the next track, which is Violet Hill. Yeah. And uh, I, I first of all, I think Violet Hill is a great song. Oh yeah. Uh, but then like to read into it and to see exactly you know what they were trying to achieve with it, very very funny. Because they, you know, they they touch on a lot of a lot of political stuff this is the hidden political track where right. like in every album it seems like we have one i mean right. this isn't even like i don't mean hidden but well but this one like yes it is hidden but it also feels beautifully ham-fisted like, yes like uh when the banks become cathedrals and a fox became god oh right which is a direct jab at, at fox, fox news. news yeah and well and actually they say uh there was the the lyric a carnival of idiots on show yeah yeah they also refer to that because chris martin said that he was watching uh bill o'reilly specifically bill o'reilly and he that was when these lyrics yeah and and it's just like one of those things of like hey this is 2008 let's talk about current current politically relevant things fox news right 12 years later 13 years later still relevant whoop well, yeah, because um, at that time it was, you know, talking about the December, December 2007 was the recession. Yeah. So, you know, that's where, you know, it, it comes in with talking about the banks and corporate greed and people worshipping, you know, money by, you know, those in the high power. But then, you know, Fox News telling people how to feel instead of presenting any facts. Yeah, and then the other thing to bring it back to where you started this feels like a fall after a revolution oh, or yeah. a fall with a fall with a recession but like you go from this this viva la vida this king t- talking about his fall and this is the fall of the country that follows you know yeah right. like like there's hard times after a revolution and that's what i always like this song kind of felt for me because of once again placement and how they drag you through this story right. um but also to note this is actually their first anti-war protest yeah song. yeah just like the you know first blatant just like no which is good um but another beatles connection because yeah. it's titled after the street neighboring abbey road in london yes and and the what is it the beat is pulled off of abbey road is it pulled off of abbey road directly yeah, yeah. you know i love abbey road yes <laughs> uh yeah it, i actually I went even a step further and I looked 
I pulled up Violet Hill on Google Maps <laughs> and I looked and uh, actually it like it like adjoins it. So like it makes like an L yeah. onto Abbey Road. Ooh. Interestingly enough though, on Google Maps it's not listed as Abbey Road, it's listed as Abbey Gardens. Oh. Hmm. So another note, another Beatles reference here is uh, he conjures like a like a John Lennon esque feel with um, within the song's melody of uh, uh, I don't want to be a soldier. Mm. He yeah. says it very directly in the song I don't want to be a soldier, but then he puts his own flair of it to who captains the who the captain of some sinking ship would stow far below. And once again, that's this just the same thing of like hey. Uh, the, the stock market's crashing and we're all going to die, but we're just shoving our, our citizens down. Let's talk about the banks, you know, like... Wait, when was this song written? 2020? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the 2020 recession is extremely indicative of 2008. Yikes. Except for there's, you know, a global panini. Global panini. Yeah. Well, the one line that stood out, too, after all of the this is the priest clutched onto Bibles hollowed out to fit their rifles. Oh my god, this was another one that, like, as soon as I saw it, I was just like, oh, you mean the AR- AR-15 blessing they had, like, oh two months god. ago? Hundreds of AR-15s? <sighs> they're, they're not putting them in their Bibles, they're just toting them now. Just toting them. And, and this song, obviously, in 2008, a lot of relevance. You listen to it in 2021. Lot of relevance. Yes. And I feel like it's been that way with most of the political songs. I feel like it applies to a lot of a lot of things. Yeah. We've had so many of these that I'm like, oh, this is really relevant now. Also, I had to I had to look this up on the Coldplay site for the lyrics. Every lyric site I found had the fog becoming God. Hmm. Every single lyric site I had. Uh Wikipedia noted it as Fox. And I was like, well I'm not gonna like I'm going to like look into this because like what is it? And it, it is 100% fox. Like, it is cold. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it's how a fox became, became god. god. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, they were like, how a fog became god. What? Like, every lyric site I looked on. That everybody. doesn't make any sense. I think I saw I saw fox, definitely, when on a lyric song. Or a lyric site. I only looked at, like, two, and then I was like... I, I will say, though, source. that I, I did try to go and find what rhythm they borrowed from Abbey Road. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Yeah, that's, that's what I, like, was having trouble myself. I was looking into it and looking into it couldn't find it so i was just like okay i trust you <laughs> i'll have to think about it again because i've listened to abbey road so many so many times yeah meow, 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 meow. i love also the like fuzz box distortion <laughs> on the guitar for the song it's just great tambors tambors oh in a popular culture it was in uh guitar hero <laughs> yeah this i i oh, yeah. that this made guitar hero and i was like okay i can see it but like this made guitar hero that's kind of what i was yeah yeah once again coldplay is like black like it's it's just weirdly not rock to me like it's rock 100 percent. like i get it but it's also like not yeah well, i think that's where like all the different the different subcategories and subgenres come in but i i I'm never good with the genres anyway. I did see my favorite subgenre come up in there, which was Baroque pop. Oh, yes. That came up again. I was like, okay, here it is again. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then, <laughs> like, completely, like a 360 musically, let's do that with Flash. Yeah. We, you, we jump into Strawberry Storm. Oh, yeah. Which is just like, whoa. Yeah. 
just like Viva La Vida, Violet Hill, Strawberry Swing. It's like, oh God, it's so upbeat. What's going on? Right. Uh, this is this is the Afro pop uh, highlights that we've mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is, and the this is like my favorite fact that I didn't know until like ten minutes ago. Uh, I guess an hour and a half ago. Uh, Chris Martin is from Zimbabwe. If if he is not, at least his, his mother, mother yeah, is. Yeah, or his mother was from Zimbabwe. Just like a weird fact. So uh, Afropop highlight and highlight, the two genres, was they that, that's what they played. And, and I guess his mom had something to do with a, a recording studio there. So he like just heard it growing up. And this song is amazing and gorgeous. Uh, I love this song. Um, it's, just, it's just a pretty melody. Yeah, it it is a really really uh like just straightforward melodic kind of sickingly sweet track uh that it it kind of touches on like the the idealistic swing that's that's perfect but only only in the right company. Right. The perfect day doesn't have to be literally perfect, but right. what matters is who you're spending the day with. Right. So I thought that the way they wrote that part of it was very, 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 very cool. Yeah, and I think there's something special to be said about the lyrics of this song. Well, the sky could be blue, could be gray. Without you, I'm just miles away. Well, the sky could be blue. I don't mind. Without you, it's just a waste of time. That is just... I... This is... I'm just a person who, like, devotes myself to people, so this song always meant something to me just inherently powerful to me um just this belief that i don't care what i'm doing as long as i'm in good company absolutely i say that all the time yeah yeah and lyrically i mean they, they talk about now my feet won't touch the ground which i'm sure you know you'll do they say that in this song mm-hmm wow yeah, yeah so it's... it's all tied together oh yeah so it's yeah Whoa. The metaphorical cloud, obviously, but that's repeated again, where two, you know. Yeah, two twice. Songs, two songs from here. And, <laughs> and it those two songs two. Yeah. are both referred back to, the... to other songs. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to talk about that later. Because it actually refers to the very, very end. The very end and the, technically the very beginning in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Man. God. The, once again, placement of, placement of uh, little themes within this album pulls you through it's not quite a narrative there's not a story but there's a journey kind of. yeah well i'll say i read that um this was almost left off the album but chris was adamant about including it and i think it's important because of the journey yeah. like i think it has an important place after you know the the anti-war yeah song yeah absolutely because yeah. like after after everything falls you know in and whether all of it collapses, who you spend your time with is, is what's important. It's like what's left. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> then we jump, <laughs> jump again to uh, death and all of his friends. Yeah. And there, this is actually another uh, hidden track song uh, because it also has the escapist mm-hmm. as part of that. Yeah. And... Uh, and this is another song I described as a certifiable banger. <laughs> a slap. A jam. Slaps. Yeah, it slaps. It's a jam. It's a certifiable banger. Straight fire. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, like this is a great tape. song. It's nice. 
I can't use any of those words on ironically. I just I I can't. Um, Someday. So I know that this song starts very softly. You have Chris Martin singing softly with a piano, and then it just like just builds into this boisterous thing that is just you know drums and chiming guitars and a choir recorded in an art gallery in barcelona yeah they they recorded in barcelona london and new york parts of this song yeah just Mm -hmm. wild all over the place i'm just wondering how they gathered acquired an art gallery i i want to be there for that conversation so yeah guys we're gonna gather up the choir, get the choir together. We're going down to the art gallery. To sing about death and his friends. To sing about, <laughs> what are we saying about death? Man. The four right. horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. And oh, there's just some good stuff in here. And this, this one for me is really kind of drives home the nail of like anti-government authoritarianism revolution. Uh, and the big line for me, that, uh, no, I don't want to battle from beginning to end. I don't want a cycle of recycled revenge. I don't want to follow death and all of his friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If, um, the theme of this one to me was, you know, we're all aware of the bad stuff in life. Like, I think Chris even said this in a re- some sort of interview or whatever. We're all aware of the bad stuff in life with death and all his friends, but that doesn't mean that you should ever give into it. So, you know, I felt like it was a hope after the revolution yeah um yeah it was kind of like what i wrote was that like it's the desire to break free from the various negative cycles that plague the human condition definitely break free with me and the escapist yeah yeah and then kind of once again breaking the mold comes up in the way of musical whiplash my favorite term (laughs) you can uh, copyright that Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Musical Whiplash, it's that same thing in the song. There's there's two transitions and both are sudden, unexpected, and beautifully impactful. Right. Um and and it just really that mold breaking that quality. Yeah, because then once you get into the hidden track portion, it uh contains part of the sample that was used in yep. Life and Technica. And there there we go. So Because uh, then that essentially ties in. Yeah. So the Life of Technicolor uh, vamp exits the song. Now, this song is uh, meant to be um, no no pauses between songs. It's supposed to flow into each other accordingly. Uh, if that happens with the entire album, including the Prospect March uh, EP, the beginning vamp is the end vamp for Death of All of His Friends and goes into the beginning vamp of Life in Technicolor 2. Which yeah. is the lyrical version of the song. Right. Well, the one thing that, um, before we go into Life in Technicolor, yeah. is um, the one line where it says, and in the end we lie awake, and we're in, we dream of making our escape. For some reason that reminded me of the Beatles, um, the end of Abbey Road, where they're like, and in the end, because that's the last track. Right. The love yeah. you take is equal to the love you make. Yeah. And I was like, huh. Like, just interesting. But then it continues. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, Huh. And now we get so in Strawberry Swing they talk about now my feet won't touch the ground. Well, it's kind of, okay. So it, if you listen to the album, you probably I mean obviously you listen to both, but 
I don't think I could go back now and listen to this being the end. What is that? Yeah. How does that change for you? Yeah. So for me, because like I can't unlisten to it now to listen and stop right. here. Yeah. So that's and that's just the thing for me. This album was, it was beautifully encapsulated. Forty-seven minutes of runtime, just great. I would listen to it almost every night before bed, like all of my freshman year. For me, it's the other way, where I can't not go into the next song and think like I could stop. You know, like I don't need the rest of it. Um, but at the same time, the beauty of those connections draws me into the second album. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I definitely see that. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, how how it would appear when the yeah. end was there. <laughs> it, was, it was so well made. You, like, it didn't feel like it needed anything else. That's okay. That's yeah, what I was trying to get at. Feel, it felt perfect. It felt like it didn't need anything else. And then we got more. But wait, there's more. Yeah. And, it, and once again, <laughs> but wait. And here's the thing, it wasn't more that was detrimental, it was more that was better. Yeah, because you do have, like, both. Like, sometimes you have more where you're just, like, it's overkill. You know, you're just over-explaining and it's just, you know, killing it. Or like, you have more where it actually adds to it. I feel like this, these, this thing, this deluxe album needs, like, someone just needs to go in and move some songs around. Maybe it's something we'll talk about at the end. Like, <laughs> like just drop the original... Uh, Lovers in Japan, put a sock sun right where it's supposed to be, right where it was. Uh, you know, I would probably put Lost Plus right after, uh, like a little bit sooner than it is in Prospect March. Um, and then, you know, just like a, a few like pacing things, but it's still beautiful the way it is. Yeah, I right. agree. Um, yeah, so De Death and All of His Friends uh, it has the beginning vamp as the outro vamp, which is the beginning vamp of Prospect's March with Life in Technicolor 2. Right. Which is which is basically the lyric version of the song. Right. So it's the same same musical song, but this time it has lyrics. Yes, it's a bop. Yeah, it's a it's a great song. Yeah, super catchy. Watch the music video; it will give you life if you haven't yet. I haven't. I'll have to go back and watch it. All you need to know is there's puppets. Ooh, puppets! <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, and and so. Just this song is kind of the linchpin of everything. It has the beginning vamp from Life and Technicolor. It has the end vamp from Death and All, All of His Friends. It has the main part of the chorus is now my feet won't touch the ground. It's in there. Um, right. It's a. Uh, oh, sorry. Should have had this pulled up. Oh course is oh love don't let me go uh, won't you take me where the street lights glow i can hear it coming like a serenade of sound now my feet won't touch the ground uh and that so it comes i did not realize but that comes all the way back from strawberry swing yeah and then you'll see that song or that that uh, lyric it's actually the title of the final song yeah now my feet won't touch the ground yep and this song is the linchpin that just like ties it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talking about it, this is another song. It's a beautiful song. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But even the message to you, I think, is is, you know, the hopeful. The life is full of you know infinite things, but we're limited by like what we put into it. It's it's up to us. You know, every road is a ray, a ray of light. It goes on. Time can only lead you on. 
Yeah, and, and this is another one that is pushing that idea of our, we, our life is finite. We will defeat us as long as life, but mm-hmm. only for so long. Yeah. Uh, time came a creeping. Oh, and time's a loaded gun. That's heavy. In such an upbeat and just bobby song. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how it always is? Yeah. Where where it's like the deepest the deepest lyrics covered up with it's ska. That's that's what ska is. Yeah. It's literally Depression with horns. Depression with horns. <laughs> yeah, I love whenever my songs talk about AIDS, but it's just the most musical coffee I've ever had in my life. Musical coffee. Musical coffee. That's how I've always described. I I never listened to ska until only a few years ago. My one friend introduced me, and he he always described it to me as ska's musical coffee. Just put it on when you need something to lift you up. And then you hear the lyrics, and you're like, "This is crushing! What are you doing to me?" Right. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, that's the the coffee indigestion. That's all. Oh. <laughs> God. Collective sigh. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and and you'll see now also, like, when we get into this part of the album, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of things that I felt was very necessary to hear, which is why I brought it on. But there's also, it's a deluxe edition, so, like, we're going to kind of gloss over, like, the Sock Sun remix and stuff like that. Right. Um, just because they're different versions. Right. I mean, and, like, I feel like listening to this the whole way through, it doesn't sound like most deluxe edition albums where like usually when you get a deluxe edition album, it's like, oh, you get the original album, plus you get three acoustic versions and four demos of the original songs. And you're like, why why did I fucking listen to this? (laughs) This is like, oh, here's the original album. And then here's the rest of the original album. Yeah, I didn't realize it was just, um, like, I know when I sold it to you, I didn't realize that it wasn't. Like, I thought it was released, like, a year later, year and a half later, as a second album. Nope. Yeah. It was literally, basically what I got out of it is that, like, Prospect's March was everything that didn't, that fell to the cutting room floor for Viva La Vida. But shouldn't. But shouldn't. (laughs) Like, a lot of them are just, right. Right. Well, I, yeah, I thought I remembered that Life in Technicolor was originally with lyrics, and then they decided to split it out. Yeah. yeah. So, like, originally the first track would have been Would have been lyrics. an actual lyric track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so I feel then, like it's more impactful, yeah, like, with absolutely. two parts. So then you, you get a nice little piano interlude after this. It's called Postcards from Far Away. Yeah. It's, you know. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's just a nice little, like it's like a breath almost. it's a palate cleanser yeah for music Which... because then you then you get into a glass of water yeah man uh first of all uh chris martin goes on record all the time saying how heavy and like massive this song is that it's just so dark and different from what they what they normally write and musically god there's just so much i thought here's here's the the ultimate music nerd moment because like when i listened to it i was like what time signature is this in 
Oh, yeah. Seven, four. So then, like, I thought that Clocks was weird in 5-4. And then I listened to this song, and I was like, what, what, what the fuck is this? So this is 7-4, and then I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I wanted to. Um, Violet Hill is, like, the most varied, varied song that, uh, that Coldplay has put out. It has, like, five or six different time signatures throughout it. I was just going to say, I remember reading this somewhere that yeah, one of yeah, the yeah. songs. Violet Hill was super varied. Uh, I, I can pull that up real quick, sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, while the majority of the song is common time are in 4 4, the interlude, If You Love Me, Won't You Let Me Go, is in 6 4, preceding two bars of 4 4, going back into the verses. The outro, <laughs> consisting of Chris Martin's vocal accompanied by a piano, switches from 4 4, 3 4, 5 4, and 6 4. Jesus. And then <laughs> this song is, is 7 4, so the. the it's a use of different time signatures. But only the chorus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's standard, and then it goes 7-4 in the chorus. Yeah, and then also it has a, a, a coda. coda versus a, a, a tonal crash, which is like... Right. Pfft. Yeah, which is... <laughs> well, no, it's not like... Yeah, it's actually, like, like very... It's like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like, uh, who who writes like that? Coldplay. Right, like... <laughs> And, musical and I, whiplash i know i know i don't know about you chris and josh you said you never listened to like a whole bunch of Coldplay, right so i had i have i i listened to their first couple albums up to this and then i i don't recall ever actually listening to this specific album Kristen? yeah i was pretty much just the popular songs yeah so like that's one thing this this album for me being that this was my first Coldplay album Oh man, I have a I have a view of Coldplay, like because of it. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, glass of water, heavy. Yeah, it's a it's a very very heavy song. Yeah, some of the lyrics had some pretty good imagery, like the hollowest of halos is no halo at all. Ooh. And then yeah, talking about television selling plastic figurines of leaders saying nothing at all. So basically, you know, a lot of people are a lot of talk, but it's no good if you, you know, don't follow through. The halo thing was like. <laughs> so just in, in me reading the lyrics you know sometimes for me i i, I kind of give my interpretation of what i read from it oh, yeah i i got this like this this heavy battle of pessimism versus optimism oh. where it's the the glass of water being half full or half empty mm-hmm and like when you read the lyrics, everything, all of the lyrics kind of play into that where it's like you have a pessimistic thing that's laced with optimism. That is just the way it was. Nothing could be better and nothing ever was. Right. Yeah. Uh, sun don't ask, neither how full nor empty is your glass. The literal, like the, the thing you use to judge pessimism versus optimism. Don't do it. Right. It's pretty intense. It is. Yep. Then we get a, a <laughs> the 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 single handed. This is this. It's either this or forty two for like best song on the open. That's not Viva La Vida. Uh, in my opinion. For you. Yeah. For, in my opinion, the, the rainy day is so good. It's like trippy and has these beautiful harmonies. Uh, this like driving strings, uh, and. and I think this showcases uh, rainy. Um, 
Glass of Water and Rainy Day are both wicked songs. I think are important to bring back the idea that that this album was Chris Martin's low, powerful album. Yeah. Uh, less of his ethnic. Oh yeah. Shadow. Absolutely. Vocally, yeah. it's it's another challenge. Yeah, and then Rainy Day is up and down. It, yeah. It, he hits his highs and his lows. And yeah. It just leads to a very great listening experience with his voice. Also, great lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, the part, the one that I noted that I really liked was the knife goes in, the more you win, you end up with less than where you begin. I feel like that ties back to people wanting to head on a sword. Oh, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But I think also part of part of the theme behind Rainy Day is like you're you have to slow down and watch the storm. You don't always need to be a part of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also. I feel like there's an underlying theme of like overcoming loneliness. Oh, for sure. Uh... What's the figurative rainy, rainy day? Oh, oh, rainy day come round. Sometimes I just want it to slow down. We're separated now, and oh, but I love it when you come over to my house. I love it when you come over to my house. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely some well-known themes. Absolutely. Uh. So then you kind of switch out of that gear and you push into the title track, which is another brief two-parter, which is Prospects March and Poppy Fields. Um, again, another, another super like, this is the aftermath of the revolution. This is the aftermath of everything that has has culminated from what happened um in this one again the hands of both carrying it in don't you wish that life can be as simple as fish swimming around in a barrel when you've got, you've the, got gun. the gun yeah this i is, really this is the low man singing this is yeah. not this is not the government this is not the one percent right mm-hmm. yeah that that line specifically reminded me of like the pink floyd song wish you were here when two's lost souls swimming in a fishbowl yeah i don't know i i i honestly immediately thought that i did too and then yeah. i wound up um reading it somewhere and i was like whoa um just you know made me feel like you know you're searching for meaning but like is there one could be just meaningless thing right yeah, and uh, it's a, it's a it's a it's a song that's for sure. And yeah, then it kind of once again has kind of a piano breath or outro. Yeah, yeah, that I like that about it. Like that, because that's like the poppy fields portion of it, where you you have this very you know somber kind of morose song that kind of ends out with like that breath, where it's just like, ugh. Yeah, I think it was an important part of the story. And now now that we talk about it, connecting, you know, this part of the album with the original, I think it's an important part because, you know, it does give that feeling where, you know, you return back to the town after, you know, the aftermath and like trying to repair from, you know, this downfall. Right. Um, but the narrator, you know, is coming back just to see like, what's been destroyed and he's remembering like how it used to be um there's a you know line about people talking without speaking um 
which is kind of like, you know, a reference to, you know, it said Simon and Garfunkel's Son of Silence, which apparently was political as well. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, people talking about speaking. Trying to take it, they can get. Yep. <laughs> Josh with the black brain explosion. Whew. Yeah, and the one weird thing, I mean, I always look up things because I'm like, I heard Poppy Fields somewhere not long ago. I mean, obviously Poppy Fields for Wizard of Oz and whatever, but um, Poppy Fields, one word, is the name of a nightclub in Oz and the Wizard of Wizard of Oz Muppets version. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that's where I heard it. What? <laughs> that's so random. Well, I also wonder about the prospect with a K. Uh, I, I remember looking this up back in. It's a broad multi-lane and very long street in urban areas, like in the Russian, you know, Russian Empire. I remember looking that up like back in like back in the day, but I don't. Yeah. Back in the old days. That made me think of like Mark with a C. I don't know why. Kark. <laughs> Prospect with a K. Prospect. Prospect. <laughs> Friend comrade Prospect. Um, yeah, after Prospect's March Pocket Fields, we jump into Lost Plus. And this is a version featuring Jay-Z doing a, a little rap thing. I thought Lost was good until I heard this Lost. And I'm like, I think I like this one better. You know, I love Lost the original. I love Lost question mark. The thing that Jay-Z puts in is that he takes an anthemic song and gives it meaning. Right. Instead of it just being kind of driving an anthemic, it does have meaning, but like a little bit transparent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This... And then you and then you get his verse, and you're just like, no longer transparent. No. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it's the thing that ties it, it lost for me to Viva La Vida. It ties it into mm-hmm. Prospects March. It's it ties into this like rise and fall of King because he talks a lot about you know with the same sort of thing. Night you good and good night you like shit. That's, That's the half of they like you. You know. That's exactly part of the... Ask Michael, ask Britain. Malcolm. He, he talks about being in power, being popular, and the target it paints. It's, right. It's beautiful and, and powerful. Well, yeah, the same the same sword they knight you with is like the double-edged sword, yeah. you know, theory. Yeah. Well, I, I when I looked at the title, the, the track list, I'm like, with Jay-Z. And then I read that they're, you know, Chris Martin and JC are friends. I'm like, well, that's not what I expected. Right. Um, <laughs> well, but, I mean, because then you, when you really think about it, to loop forward in their career, Beyonce is on quite a few songs. Oh, yeah. Did some of on their, what was it, two albums ago? Yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah. I think she's on two, two tracks of theirs. Yeah. So, calling in a favor. Yeah, well, I mean, I liked it. I liked all the, the tie-ins with, with, you know, um, yeah, if you succeed, prepare to be crucified. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. I mean, that's... Yeah. Sleep crucifixion. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting when you, when you actually, like, look at the lyrics of his rap, like, he talks about, you know, all of it being a popularity thing, blah, 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 and then he talks about, like, Michael and Malcolm, and then he brings up Biggie and Pac, and he brings up... And it's just really... It's a really cool, like, cultural... Bobby Brown. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of random. It's, it's really, it's Ooh. really, it's a thing. And the the thing, once again, uh, the two things that I like Prospect March for the deluxe edition is once more uh, Chris's like lower end, and I love that. And then also all the tie-ins come from here. You have you have like the Technicolor two, you have Lost, and you have now 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 looking at Christian Brown. Right. And to me, once again, the first album's great. This just pulls it all together, though. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's like, you know, um, 
is it worth it at all to have, you know, been in power for that little bit of time and, and see how, you know, the outcome, you know, the, you know, you this success, but then yeah. the fall is great. Then we have Osaka Sun Remix of uh, Public in Japan. Which I prefer. It's, yeah, it's, Honestly. Just, it's just better. And it's so subtle. It's yeah. the littlest things. Like I said, there's just like some vocalization and some background noises cut or added. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just I think I just prefer yeah. that version overall. And then I feel like it, it ties everything together and really is like the the cherry on the Sunday with the last song. Yeah, and I was surprised to find there's like no info on that might be lost by people. Right. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I mean, I found like very little bit. Like I, I you know, it, it features light orchestral tone that has evolved from one of their songs from their previous album which was uh till kingdom come uh and then the title phrase like we said both peers both strawberry swing and uh life in technicolor too yeah uh and i mean yeah the, the now my feet won't touch the ground almost feels like ending it on a hopeful you know, yeah. but being in the clouds. Right. It's really, it's, it's a song about death and how beautiful it is. And the thing that I think is funny and fascinating to me is it's a song about death and all of your friends. It starts off with let me know. Not about death and his friends, but death and yes. your friends. It starts off, oh. with, it starts off <laughs> with let me go, boys. Let me go. Let me go, friends, you know. And he talks about, like, push my bone from the highest cliff to the sea below. He's talking to his friends, telling them, like, I'm gone, but I'm with friends. Now my feet won't touch the ground, which if you go back to Strawberry Swing, it's a song about being with people who make uh-huh. you feel good. Yeah, like, and, like, I didn't even know about the song Strawberry Swing reference until, like, ten minutes ago, but, like, that's the level of connectedness that a lot of these songs have. And it's about death and your friends and connectedness and the hope of moving forward it's kind of driven by this beautiful orchestral silence in the background yes like you know like it's it's very subtle yeah um yeah you wait a lifetime to be found now my feet won't touch the ground so it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a death and a start yeah as it is throughout this album yeah, I can't say enough great things about this album. If you can't tell, I mean, I I loved it yeah. honestly. I enjoyed listening to to the whole thing, and I mean, like, obviously the standout track is "Viva La Vida." Like, you can't deny how great that song is. But if you take that if you take that song and it's like, okay, this song supersedes being the best song on the album. Look at the rest of the album. What's your favorite song? I can't pick, but you know, rainy day or forty two. Okay. What about well, you? Lost. Lost. Which one? Well, I would have said the uh, lost exclamation point, but I think I can't really pick between the two. I think lost exclam- exclamation point was like my first. Um, exposure first exposure to loss which you know the message and everything that i that i liked about it 
but then Lost Plus, you know, just built on that. So I think I'd have to say Lost Plus. I think my favorite was Violet Hill. That was up there for me. Honestly, I, I think it just, I don't know. Everything about that song just came together. And maybe it's the fact that there is a, a major Beatles vibe to it that just, I, I don't know, it's maybe maybe it was the tie-in after Viva La Vida. Yeah. I don't know. It just, the something about The placement of it was good. The placement was really good. I think it just was a track that really just stood out to me. But I, again, like, I really enjoyed the entire album. I read a quote about the album that I thought was pretty indicative. It was, uh, I forget what critic was or where it was from, but they said, uh, this is the album in which Coldplay finally uses the exorbitant amount of money they're allowed within the studio. Hmm. You know, the things they do to make this album what it is, the traveling, the buying piano and putting tax into it, you know, the all of the different musical influences, all the different instruments, you know, they really push the envelope with this one. Uh, they talk about their first three being a trilogy. It's all the same. Very great, but very similar. Right. And then this is just this, like, departure. Yeah. Yeah, because their, their first three albums are pretty straightforward as far as, like, yes, this is Coldplay. This is a, you know, pop rock act, whatever. And you get this one. And it's totally different. I gotta say though, um, I felt kind of indifferent about it for a while, and I think now after talking about it, because I felt kind of indifferent about it, except for maybe a few standout tracks, like obviously, you know, title track and and Lost and Violet Hill. I keep wanting to say Violet Hill. <laughs> Yikes! Um, but now that we sat and talked about it and all the connections and how everything flows and you know connects with it self i definitely like it more which yeah. is weird because i'd like it more than i did two hours ago yeah and this is one that i, this is one <laughs> that I recommend like now that you have me just hounding like some of these connective points yeah go back and listen to it like one more time oh i'm gonna have to now oh definitely yeah it's one of those ones that it i've listened to it in the hundreds of times and i still find things like the uh strawberry swing how my feet won't touch ground even though i've heard it a thousand times right well, sometimes it takes a, a fresh set of eyes to, to notice those things. Because yeah. I think that was my Abbey Road. I mean, I listened to that hundreds of times. And then when, you know, Josh listened, I noticed things that I didn't before. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd recommend everyone re-listen to this album if you haven't. There's a reason it's probably the most uh, accoladed, accoladed? With most accolades for, <laughs> a, for a Coldplay album. Well, and I, I think that I think that this is an album that that makes this this show make sense and I'll explain why because you know we we say that this 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 show is for music nerds by music nerds and the ideal of songs in my head it has always been that like i like x music you like y music let's share music let's let's let me share my music with you and you look at it from your perspective and then when we talk about it 
I see things that I didn't hear the first time through. Well, it feels weird to me because I think this is the first time that I've like changed an opinion while we did the show, (laughs) which makes me feel really wishy-washy. But I mean, I guess as, you know, my opinion growing, it's probably not wishy-washy. I mean. But like, I guess hearing somebody else be passionate about something they love is what makes me love it. I mean, I always said that to you anyway. Yeah. And I, I think it might also be something to be said that I, I'm, the, I'm the fresh wrench in the engine. You know, you do, you do, you two are pretty close in opinions and mindset and, and stuff. Well, we're getting, yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. I think you, 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 you get along a lot when it comes to opinions. And I'm also my demographics different. I'm, I'm the youngsters of this crew. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that was one thing that we talked about when we very first started doing the show is like, you know, being difference in age, you know, we're only a few years, but um, like exposure to music, like our first, you know, influences to what we've listened to and our musical, you know, experience has been very different. And I think it's interesting when you, you know, talk about the first album you chose on your own. I'm trying to remember mine more, but I'm sure they were more shameful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably the spice girls or something no um <laughs> the first album that i chose on my own to listen to was not an album that came out at that time the first album that i picked ever on my own to listen to was nirvana's nevermind and then my mine was this and then like the next one that really pops out to me is death magnetic metallica no, I think you're you're probably right about the Nirvana because I'm thinking I'm thinking album as in like CD but like tapes. I had so many tapes and I had all the Nirvanas on tapes. So I think Nevermind was probably up there. Now, interestingly that you said Metallica because I think the first the first album that really like that I really had a major connection with because it was a band that I had listened to and then I actually was present for them. I, I shouldn't say present, but I was actually like prominently listening to them when they released Saint Anger. Yeah. And like I listened to that album so many times and people hate on it so much, but I'm like, no, just listen to it. Like, sure, the music sounds weird, but like Well, I think people go in expecting it to be like all a, the others a sound they they expect a certain thing and it's not that yeah yeah but i'm glad that i at least changed one opinion of the album and i'm glad that you know um i got to come on and share it all with you yeah it's been I'm, fun. I'm, I'm happy that we were able to have you on i'm so happy that we have hit 10 episodes i think that's a huge a huge deal you know, for, for a shitty little podcast like ours, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we're very, we're very DIY. We're very, we're very self-sufficient and, you know, it, it really means a lot that we've, that we've gotten ourselves this far and we have no intention on stopping. Uh, you know, I think this is just, this is the first in a, in a long series of, you know, guests we plan on having on and we have a million episodes planned so, so many ideas and i mean this is something ideas. this is something i think we'd be doing anyway even without the podcast is talking and sharing and stuff so it's kind of fun to be able to do that with right with a everybody. lot more people yeah so um, you know I, I think that this is a good note to end on 
thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for thanks, coming friends. on. Yeah. And I'm certain at some point I might rear my head again. So. Oh, absolutely. You're going to be back on the show, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, as always, you guys can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at SIMHpod. Uh, we're also on Facebook. You can just search Songs in My Head. Keep a lookout. I'm going to be making an actual, like, professional Facebook account for the podcast very soon. Uh, the one that we have will still be there. That'll be more of, like, the the fan Yeah, the listener collaboration. Page, the, the collaboration page. Uh, so just keep your heads up. You know, we're, we're going to be doing a lot of lot of stuff in the future here we're going to be making some some big moves to to be more consistent with the stuff that we put out and you know we just look forward to bringing you guys more stuff so thanks for listening yeah thanks so much for being here for 10 episodes and here's to many more uh we'll talk to you guys soon as always share your music please